following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. So David, in one of his psalms, Psalm 17, there's a verse where he says to God, I want to be the apple of your eye. Have you heard this phrase before? Okay, so that's the apple of your eye. Now, that was taken at a wedding. If you can see that that's a bride there. I actually found this really cool site where a wedding photographer, most of the pictures were of the reflections in people's eyes of other people. But that's the literal meaning of the Hebrew phrase. So I think apple of the eye is probably a King James thing. But the literal meaning is the little man of the eye. And what that means is, if you get close enough to someone, and Steve Randell can attest to this because I showed him how it worked the other day, which was uncomfortable for both of us. Um, if you get close enough to someone, you could see your reflection in their eye. Imagine me sitting with Steve, and I'm like, Steve, if you get close enough, you could see your reflection in my eye. We're looking into each other's eyes from like this far away. I mean, right, it was a good experience, right, Steve? Uh, but, but this is the idea when David asks... Um, he says, I want to be the little man in the eye of God. What he's really saying is, I want God to be so close to me that when I look into the eyes of God, so to speak, I can see my reflection. That's how close God is to me. And if you read that whole chapter, David says things like, listen, there's wicked people who are like roaring lions walking around me. Save me from them. He, he's asking God to be so close that David fills his vision, and one of the results of that is that God sees him, and he cares, and he protects. Uh, you'll read, there's probably four or five other places in the Old Testament, and in my notes, I'll, I'll give you links to it, where the Bible talks about somebody being in the apple of God's eye, and it's typically the people of Israel. Here's an example from Deuteronomy 32.10. In the desert land, he, that is God, found him, that is Israel, or God's people. In a barren and howling waste, he found him. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. So there's this implication that even for people lost in the wilderness, in the wasteland, God sees them. And when he sees them, when he's that close, he is shielding them. He's caring for them. He's guarding them. And it got me thinking about the implication of this for us as the ambassadors of God. We're, we're God's representatives, right? We talk a lot about being the hands and the feet of Jesus. And what we mean by that is that when we go somewhere, we want our feet to take us places where Jesus would go. We want our hands then to do the things that Jesus would do. And I wonder if one of the implications of this kind of imagery is that we want to see people as Jesus sees them. That there's, there's something about, and while the Bible is particular that it was Israel that was in the apple of God's eye, but then there's David who says, God, please place me there. I'm going to, I want to take that application and broaden out a little bit. If God is the kind of God who places people in the apple of his eye, so that they are the little people because they're that close, I think there's probably implications for us that when we look at people around us, our goal is to be close enough to people that they are the little people in our eye. Like right now, if you would have a photographer take a picture of my eyes, I don't know that you would show up. You're too far away. But if I would move closer, and I'm not going to ask for volunteers, if I would move closer, at some point you would, you would see. And now, when I'm that close, uh, I hear you. Um, if you haven't showered recently, I might smell you. 
Um, I could sense maybe your moods and emotions. You can whisper instead of shout. There's all kinds of implications about being close to people. And I, I'm beginning to wonder, well, I, I've probably wondered this for a while, but I feel like I'm kind of get, finally getting the language and the imagery for it here out of Scripture. If that we're meant to represent God in this way, we go into the barren and howling wastelands around us, which for us I think is the world, it's our culture. And we get close enough to people so that they become the little people in our eye. And now we guard them, we care for them. And in this case, we take the gospel to them as part of that guarding and caring, right? I've been using the phrase faithful presence. We're a faithful presence with people and we get close to them. And I think for people who are wondering, uh, and right now seems like a time when people are wrestling with this question more than ever, does God even see me and does God even care? I think the question's often answered when God's people see them and when God's people care. I was talking with some friends last week about the burden that Christians carry of caring for other people. And it's not that other people don't care, right? People care. But as Christians... I think we have a unique burden of caring in that um, everything matters. Like when stuff happens to people, we care because they're image bearers of God. We understand people from our worldview in a particular way that not everyone shares. And so anytime we see the kind of stuff happening to people that reminds us that creation groans and we live in a fallen world and sin has devastating consequences, when we see that, we care to some degree, right? These people were called to keep moving toward people so that they become the little people in our eyes. So the Bible says things like weep with those who weep. Well, in a barren wasteland, there's gonna be a lot of people weeping. The Bible says bear each other's burdens. And in a barren wasteland, there's gonna be a lot of burdens that we carry. And I don't know about you, I've talked with some other people I know have experienced this, uh, because of the disruption of the last couple months, I found that my emotions were pretty volatile at times, and I was they were kind of raw and on the edge, and there'd be some days you're, at least for me, I was overwhelmed by looking around and just seeing um, the groaning of the world, for lack of a better term, in all kinds of places. And so you, at days I'd have to step back and go, okay, I, I, have, to, I have to create a little bit of distance here. I, I need to get out of the bed tomorrow morning. Jesus is the only one who can carry the burdens of the world, right? He's the only one big enough to look everywhere and go, I will help to carry that. I will, I will solve that, save that, right? Jesus is unique. Only he can do that. But there's something about our bearing his image. And then as Christians, there's something about us being members of his, of his physical representation on, on earth, the church, that calls us toward this burden, I think it's part of carrying our cross, is that we are never apathetic when we look out into the world. Uh, we're always called to be empathetic, sympathetic, depending on our, our situation and experience. So we're indwelt by God's spirit. We're members of God's body, the church. If we're called to go into this barren, howling wasteland that is the world around us, and I, I think we're supposed to get close. I think we're supposed to walk toward people till they become those little people in our eyes. And I have found this to be unsettling. There's a reason 
uh, that Jesus' audience at one point wanted clarification about who exactly is my neighbor. <laughs> in fact, if you read that in Luke 10, the Bible says that the man asking this of Jesus said this quote because he wanted to justify himself. In other words, he didn't want everybody to be his neighbor. So he's like, okay, I think Jesus is asking me to uh, love my neighbor, so I, I'm going to need to narrow down who my neighbors are so that I can make sure that the ones that I'm loving are the ones that I want to love. So he asks this question, seeking to justify himself. Because it's one thing if, if we read Jesus' teaching is saying, okay, love your family, um, love your neighbors who mow their lawn well and aren't screaming at each other at night, and love that neighbor who dresses up well and who you could go through all these types of things. It, it looks like even in Jesus' time, people were going, I'd like to pick and choose my neighbors. And Jesus' parable is, no, you can't. And in fact, as you look through the Bible, you'll see things like this. Jesus says, for one, the Samaritan's your neighbor. The Roman centurion is your neighbor. The tax collector is your neighbor. The prostitute is your neighbor. And this was so unsettling that the critics of Jesus began to call him a friend of sinners. It wasn't a positive thing. We have made it a positive thing because we love the idea that Jesus is a friend of sinners because that means he's my friend. And so we sing great songs, Jesus, friend of sinners, set mercy me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. All right, I'm done singing. But that was a mocking label when Jesus was given that because he, he went close to them. He was going to them and reaching and ministering such that they would become the little people in his eye like they were right there and they know that God sees them. And I think there's tension then in a Christian call to do this because it puts us in weird places. So the Samaritans at that time, they were aligned with blasphemy. And without going into the backstory, I, I think Carl, a year or two ago, gave a great sermon explaining the backstory of the Samaritans. But the Samaritans were aligned with blasphemy. So now if you say the Samaritan is my neighbor, it sure looks like you're aligning yourself with blasphemous people. The Roman centurion was aligned with political oppression of God's people. And if you're not careful, accepting them into the church sure could look like you're overlooking Roman sin. Tax collectors, traitorous enablers of economic oppression, and having a meal with them could look like you're enabling or somehow overlooking the system that was oppressing God's people. Prostitutes were the obvious face of sexual immorality. And at that time, a lot of prostitution involved uh, worship in temples that were fertility cults. So spending time with them, letting them wipe your feet with tears, this could look a lot like minimizing or overlooking their sin. And yet they were neighbors who lived in a wasteland. And at least one of them, Zacchaeus, apparently chose, was there by his own choosing. It wasn't something forced upon him. And yet God had his eye on them. And I think that means that they were meant to be in the eyes of God's people. Their lives demanded the love and investment of Christ's followers. Uh, I would say it this way. Wastelands have never stopped Christians, no matter how barren and howling they are. We still go there. And that's because the God who creates us, he loves us. He offers salvation to us. He has a vested interest in his world. And the Bible is clear. All of creation groans as it awaits the redemption that Christ brings. So we also as a church are collectively groaning 
as we look at the brokenness that has infiltrated everything that God has created. And I think in that shared kind of weeping that we do with people, the shared walking to be close with people who are hurting, I think this is where the church as the physical representation of Christ makes the term Emmanuel come to life. Emmanuel means God with us. And I suspect for many people, we, we experience God with us in a very practical sense when God's people are with us. So what kind of heart should I have for my neighbor? One that's filled with the kind of love God offered to us. How do I want to see them? I'd like to see them as God sees them. Where does that mean I'll have to go? Into barren and howling wildernesses. And how close will I have to get? Apple of the eye close. I, I have found myself uh, weeping, and I mean that mostly metaphorically, it, um, though there was at times I was brought to tears, but generally speaking, the last couple months, I, f- I have found myself weeping for uh, probably more people than I ever have. Or to go back to the analogy, there was a lot of people in my eyes the last couple months. And a lot of the time, it was close friends, and it was family, and it was fellow Christians. Um, it, was, it was people that I'm comfortable with, that I know, and we share a worldview. And life's just hard. And so we enter into that, and we try to do what we can with empathy and sympathy. But then I also found that it was people and organizations that would normally bring out resistance or criticism in me. But, I, but they were experiencing the brokenness of the world, too. So I found myself weeping for them. And feeling like there was some sense in which there was a burden to carry, even if their own sin had brought them to the point of weeping or had created that burden. Because my thought was, who better to be present with them than the people of God? I mean, somebody needs to get close enough to them that their apple of the eye close. Why would that not be the people of God? Letting people know, I see you, I hear you, I care about you. So I made a list this week of things that remind me that I have a long and complicated list of neighbors who have been the little people in my eye recently. And some of them I see face to face. Some of them I have to choose to see through media so that I can move closer in spirit so that when I'm given the opportunity to be with people, I'm ready to move closer in person. And some of them dwell in the land of promise, some of them in the wilderness. But I'm realizing I I can't look away. So I'm going to choose two ways this plays out for me in things that are in the news. Um, And with God as my witness, I don't intend any of this to be political. I just mean this to be I'm looking around and going, who is experiencing the brokenness of the world and how do I I want to think of them? Um, So I'm going to give kind of a, uh, yeah, just a punch list. One having to do with the whole virus situation. One having to do with the protests that are going on right now. And then if we have time, which we probably won't, um, I'll be prepared to skip those slides, Anna. All right, so these are the little people in my eye the last three months. Uh, And I don't, like I said, I was thinking about having someone in front of me uh, just to make it awkward for everyone. But just to kind of visualize, I simply mean I, I can't, they're right here. They're right here in front of me. Those who have lost family members to the coronavirus, they're the little people in my eye. Those who have lost their businesses or for whom poverty and all its implications seem inevitable because we shut the economy down, they're the little people in my eye. 
the most vulnerable in our society, that's the elderly, the already sick, and those with special needs in group homes who've been hit the hardest by the coronavirus. They're in my eye. Those who died because hospitals suspended surgeries and treatments that it turns out were necessary, they're in my eye. Those experiencing escalating mental health issues and domestic violence that have occurred during lockdowns, they're in my eye. Those paying very real costs, that's physical, emotional, or economic, because doctors, politicians, economists, and scientists have been wrong in their predictions and plans, they're in my eye. The doctors, politicians, economists, and scientists who have been slandered after just trying their best to help or do their job and whose imperfection has too easily made them easy to paint as villainous, they're in my eye. Those who are unfairly judged for wearing a mask as if it means they must be sinfully scared or easily controlled, they're in my eye. Those who are unfairly judged for not wearing a mask as if there are no legitimate concerns or reasons for exempting yourself, they're in my eye. Those in churches that open too quickly and spread the virus, sometimes leading to death within their own congregation, much to their heartbreak, they're in my eye. Those in churches that open too slowly at the expense of ministering face-to-face -face with their people, sometimes leading to spiritual shipwreck, much to their heartbreak, they're in my eye. They're, they're all in my eye. There's something about their experience of the brokenness and hardship of the world. Somebody needs to be close enough to them that they grow and they grow and they're right here. And I, th and I think that is, that is the harvest, the field of harvest for the people of God. So I see other little people in my eyes. Once again, sometimes it's face-to-face. -face. Sometimes I have to choose to see them through media so that I can prepare my spirit to be close so that I'm ready to be close in person. Those who have been innocent victims of violence, discrimination, and even death simply because of the color of their skin, they're in my eye. Those whose experiences have led them to believe that their lives don't matter in the eyes of others, they're in my eye. Those who are so broken that they'll hijack the stories of genuine victims so they can play the victim card, they're in my eye. Those whose experiences have led them to believe that their voice will not be heard and they will not be seen until they march or protest and demand to be seen, they're in my eye. Those who hijack the heartfelt cries of protesters with fallen agendas, manipulative exploitation, and callous violence, they're in my eye. The victims of looting and burning by those who twist justice-centered means to unjust and violent ends, they're in my eye. Those painted with an unjust broad brush that too easily allows the few to represent the many, they're in my eye. Those whose experience with law enforcement makes them afraid rather than comforted when they see them, they're in my eye. Noble law enforcement officers who are unfairly lumped in with the ignoble ones, they're in my eye. The well-intentioned souls who rightly cry, peace, peace, but then they align themselves with organizations that will undermine the peace they desire. They're in my eye. Those who don't realize there'll be no truly lasting empire peace or true social justice without a righteous kingdom foundation first in our hearts and then in the systems filled by those with transformed hearts. 
They're in my eyes. I have a whole nother list um, that I, I don't think I'm going to go through at this point um, just because I want to be conscious of um, children with parents um, and sermons can get long. But if you check out my notes, you'll see I just have a list of other things that over the years, I, I'm realizing there's so many people in my, in my eyes, and the answer to who is my neighbor is everybody, right? Everybody's my neighbor. And we're just looking around the world and trying to see what breaks God, God's heart, because I want my heart to be broken by the things that break God's heart. And when we see that, we pray, we intercede, we petition God for ourselves, for our neighbors, for our nation to heal us and to heal our land. And we move closer to those who are hurting because it's hard to weep from a distance and it's hard to help carry a burden from a distance. And as I looked at my list, and you might have noticed this as I read through it, this is what I mean by it can be uncomfortable is that my heart is breaking irrespective of party or people or organizations or religion or social status. It's just I see the brokenness of the world and my heart breaks. I actually went through my list and I color-coded everything, including the list I didn't read, and I color-coded it with red and blue and purple. So red and blue was kind of, these are, these are things that fairly or unfairly are associated with conservative or liberal. Purple was something every, everybody cares about. And I made this list, and I don't know if you can see it condensed here, but the reality is they're all in my eye just because they're image bearers of God and they're experiencing the groaning of a sin-soaked world. And what do I do as a Christian in response to that? So who needs to be the little people in a Christian's eye? The little people. I think it's everybody, because everybody's my neighbor. And here's a key reason, is that we know the power of the gospel. We understand salvation. We understand healing. We understand renewal and grace and hope and peace and joy. We understand the beauty of righteousness. We're the outposts of the kingdom. Where we go, the kingdom sets up camp. Where we go, we take the presence of Jesus because we have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the word of God that has soaked into us, right? Where we go, we take the presence of Jesus. And where do we need to go? Everywhere. To who? Everybody. And sometimes the wilderness is a confusing place, right? But we go because we, we're going to set up camp, and that camp is full of truth, it's full of love, and it's full of the message of a creator who's really, really good at redeeming broken things, and we can't do that from a distance. So choose your analogy from Scripture. We run to the battle. We go to the fields in need of harvest. We sow seed on every kind of soil, knowing it's not going to grow everywhere, but knowing we're still called to spread the seed of the gospel. And I think it means we love our broken and our fallen neighbors just like our neighbors have loved us. Um, so, that's the whole world. <laughs> and we can't do it, right? We can't do it on our own. Only Jesus can carry the weight of the world. But I think one of the things the church is meant to do collectively 
is for God's people to be present in every aspect of the world to be a part of this. So we can't be equally invested in all things. When I say that um, I weep for people, I have all these people in my eye, it, it, surely there are some that impact me more powerfully because they're closer to home. So I, I don't see that as needing to be equally invested in all things. God has placed us in certain places or with certain people or given us certain gifts or pointed us in certain directions such that some of these things will move front and center for us. Um, Claudia was a good example. She says she has a heart to see justice. She's going to prisons, particular place she's going to go. Not all of us are going to go do prison ministry, but some of us will, right? So collectively as the body of Christ, we are reaching out to the world. And, and so we'll gravitate towards specific causes. And I think that's right and good. I think we just have to be careful not to dismiss people in whom God's placed a different weight and something else is looming a little more closely in their eyes than ours. But I think the church collectively then, what we do here on earth is make sure that everybody is in the eyes of somebody who represents Christ. Everybody is that little person in the eyes of somebody who represents Christ. And I think there's something about that nearness and that closeness and that empathy uh, that, that we represent Jesus uh, to a world that I believe right now is longing for redemption, longing for salvation in so many ways. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.